I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. We get the last few words from Mormon, and then we actually switch over to Moroni before the end of this book, which I think is interesting. Um, this is a rough time, man. And the thing that keeps coming up in my mind is like how they're writing to the future people and they're also writing to the people that are currently wiping them out. The descendants of the people that are killing them off. And it's, it's never this thing like, oh, you're going you're gonna to get it. You know, <laughs> he does warn them, you know, if you don't do this, then, you know, vengeance of the Lord and all that. But it's, it's more like out of love. It's still, there's this feeling of, I want you to accept this. I want you to come to a realization of the truth. They would rather them come to a realization of the truth, change, be baptized, be converted, than to get revenge, than to get retribution for the the wiping out of their people. They're more interested in the well-being of their enemies than in their demise. And I think that that is incredibly crucial to think about, especially in today's world where we're we're really into seeing, you know, people get get what's coming and stuff like that. And it's like, well, but if you have enemies. And they and they're being unjustifiably evil towards you for some reason. Shouldn't you wish that they would see the light rather than just get well? It also, it also like to me what I thought is it's interesting how we think that death is the worst thing that can happen. Yeah, and I think the worst thing that can happen is for you to be disobedient and to allow your children and their children to continue to have false traditions and not follow the gospel and fall away. Because Mormon, it's really sad. You hear later on Moroni saying, yeah, the Nephites, the, what was left, tried to go south, but they were killed and my father was among one of them. And so he wasn't spared, you know, he wasn't taken up in a cloud, you know, and he was a righteous man. He wasn't spared a bad, a bad thing happening. But you know, I like how in chapter 7, verse 2, he starts speaking very directly to the Lamanites and to their descendants, saying, Know ye that ye are, know ye not that ye are the house of Israel. Know ye not that ye must come unto repentance, or ye cannot be saved. Know ye not that ye must lay down your weapons of war, and delight no more in bloodshed, and take them not again, and save it, save it be that God shall command you. Know ye not. 
Know ye that ye must come to the knowledge of your fathers and repent of all your sins and iniquities and believe in Jesus Christ, this, that he is the Son of God and that he was slain by the Jews by the power of the Father and he has risen again whereby he may gain the victory over death and also in him is the sting of death swallowed up. And, and he keeps going. And the thing that I take out of this is like, there are many changes and realizations that the Lamanites have to come to. And he knows what these are. You're going to have to understand that you weren't excluded from the promises. You're part of Israel and you, you have expectations. You're going to have to come to the fact that you, you cannot not repent and expect salvation. You know? yeah. You're going to have to come to the knowledge that going to war and being bloodthirsty and having like these, these warring uh, habits and culture isn't good for you. That you can only go to war when it's a righteous cause. And then he says, you know, and then you have to come to know of Christ. And that's a that's a really difficult thing, you know, <laughs> all of these things. But they're written there because it's the same things that we have to come to knowledge of. We have to come to knowledge that we're part of a covenant. If we want if if you have a desire, you are called to the work, you know, you're you're part of this. And and you have to follow these things. And then it talks a little bit about the Bible. And in verse seven and he, he continues to talk and in verse 10, therefore repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and hold upon the gospel of Christ, which he shall set before you, not only in this record, but also in the record which shall come unto the Gentiles from the Jews, which record shall come from the Gentiles unto you. For behold, it is written for the intent that ye may believe that if ye believe that ye will believe this also. And if ye believe this, ye shall know concerning your fathers and also the marvelous works which were brought by the power of God among them. And so he's saying, you know, there's another record. If you believe that, you'll believe this. And if you believe this, you believe that. You know, it's not or, and or, or. It's both. Well, and I think that a lot of times, especially people on the outside of, that aren't members of our faith, they, they look at it as we're using the Book of Mormon to replace the Bible. And they take statements like Joseph Smith's that there's no truer book on earth, you know, to mean that it's replacing the Bible, that this is better than the Bible. And I think that that's immediately refuted by Mormon's statement right there. He's not, we're not replacing it. And he's very, being very clear in, in saying, if you believe the Bible, if you believe in what was written by the Jews, if what Christ did, what the Lord promised them, then you'll also believe this because it's the same. And I think that it's really important to remember that, yes, this happened in two different places. Yes, it happened in two different contexts, but the gospel is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't matter where it's happening. doesn't matter when it's happening. It stays the same. And they testify of each other, and that's why we use both. And I think even sometimes within our own faith, we, we show preference to the Book of Mormon because a lot of times it's easier to understand. It's more like a narrative sometimes. The language in it is often a lot easier to to comprehend, and so it's shorter, <laughs> so people can read it more and feel like they they can identify with it more. But we have to remember that the Bible is the first original testament of Jesus Christ. Even the Old Testament, Jehovah in the Old Testament, um, we know that that was Jesus Christ carrying things out. And so when those two things are used together, it's incredibly powerful. I like um, how you mentioned that 
even in the introduction, I think in the introduction of the Book of Mormon is where it says that there's no more correct book, the introduction written by Joseph Smith. But also later on, we read of uh, Moroni speaking of their inadequacies in writing. And if that they, they wrote in uh, Reform Egyptian, but if they would have written in Hebrew, there would have been no mistakes, but even that has been altered, he says. There, there's two types of issues, or, or I think those, send, they're not in conflict with each other, the fact that it's the most correct book. The most correct book, in fact, as giving the principles, having all the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and having the plain and precious truths that oftentimes were taken away either on purpose or by accident or over time from the Bible. <clears throat> there's that, but then there's also errors when it comes to, we, we see it throughout the book. There's just errors of humankind. And we see yeah. some of that a few chapters ago with Samuel the Lamanite. Yeah. You know, his, his whole story was taken out until Christ himself said, no, you need to put that back in. You know, he even says um, that though. He says, you know, please forgive the errors of my father and, and the errors of, of myself, you know, because he realizes we may have said things differently. We may have made a mistake here or there, but we're human and we're writing and we're trying to compile things and we're trying to make sense out of this incredibly complex thing. And we're also doing it under extreme duress. I mean, think about it. You're trying to compile all of this while the world is crumbling around you. I mean, we get we get bent out of shape if our Amazon delivery isn't on time, and these guys are like trying not to die, and also compile and write a history of their people. And so, if there's any mistakes in there, if there's any mistakes in there, he's asking, you know, just be be understanding that we are we're prophets, and yes, this is God's work, but we're also human. And so, I think I thought that was pretty interesting, and it kind of speaks to the way prophets are today. We, we tend to think, well, if you declare yourself a prophet, then you're declaring yourself infallible or you can't make a mistake or you can't say something and then uh, be like, well, maybe we need to change that a short while later. You know, I think of some of the policies of the church came out and then said, you know what, we're going to change that back. And should we look at that and say this is evidence of lack of leadership? This is evidence of, you know, that there's no spiritual guidance. No, I think what it is, is it's evidence of uh, a God that is working through people. And and we see that there are times that depending on what individuals or the people are ready for, God yeah. will give them or hold off on. You know, yeah. wander, the children of Israel wandering in the desert. They knew what the commandment was. You need to get to the promised land. But it came a point where they were not ready for that. So we yeah. need to have the it next generation go do it. Fault. It wasn't because Moses was a really bad navigator. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's because yeah, they, they weren't ready for the promised land yet. I like how in the in the manual, President Nelson, under the section that says the Book of Mormon is great of great worth. He says, President Nelson asked, if you were offered diamonds or rubies or the Book of Mormon, which would you choose? Honestly, which is of greater worth to you? And as I, I thought that was a very interesting thing for him to say, because as, as we read in, in chapter eight, you know, we're going to see Moroni speaking, especially when he says in chapter five, and my father had made this record and he had written it for the intent thereof. And behold, I would write it also if I had room upon the plates, but I have not. And the or I have none for I am alone. 
My father hath been slain in battle, and all my king's folk. And I have not friends, nor whither to go. And, and how long the Lord will suffer that I may live, I know not. That's a very sad, solemn <laughs> writing, he's saying. He's saying, after all this, all he has is this record. All his family, his king, his whole king's, king's folk, his friends, his family, his civilization is gone. All he has is this history of what they held to be the most dear uh, scriptures for them. And we know that as they compiled all these histories, Mormon, he excluded more of the everyday records, more of the administrative type of records that a civilization held. And he purposely included the gems and the miracles and the faith and the teachings of Christ which he felt would be of greatest value to him and his people and to us in the latter days. And through all that work, it's not just Mormon who has given his life for this. It's many saints, many saints in that era and other prophets who worked so hard so these records and these experiences could, could be preserved. And then now we're asked in our day by our prophet, look what we value. We value diamonds and things would you would you rather have those or would you rather have something that teaches you about Jesus Christ? You know, it, it's 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 hard as a as a kid to think about, well, yeah, I want diamonds, you know, I want gold, you know, because you know, when you're little you think about things. Yeah. But then as you get older, you start thinking it's like, what's the worth of this knowledge? Because diamonds come and go, but knowledge stays with you forever. You know? Well, and what's going to bring lasting happiness to you? Luxuries and, and valuable things and money might bring temporary satisfaction to you, but you're always going to want more. That's the thing about money is there's never enough. We, we're designed that way as the natural man to want more and more and more of something, and it's never satisfying. But when you when you think about what the the Book of Mormon and what the scriptures in general offer is understanding purpose, understanding direction, understanding the entire plan, right? And that is so much more likely to bring you happiness than any amount of money ever could. So it's interesting, you know, to think what what would you rather have? These these gems or or this book of scripture? A lot of times it'd be like, you know what, I, I can I can live a moral life. Give me the money, you know. <laughs> but in the end, that's all gonna evaporate. It's not it's not that doesn't go with you. Thoughts, ideas, concepts, that stays with you forever, even into the eternities. And so that is of infinite more value than anything on this earth could ever provide for you. Yeah. I like how in verse in chapter eight, in verse eight. He talks about, behold, it is the hand of the Lord which has done it. And he's talking about the, the, this destruction that has come upon the Nephites and yeah. that they were hunted by the Lamanites. And then he says, behold, the Lamanites are at war one with another. And the whole face of the land is one continual round of murder and bloodshed. And no one knoweth the end of the war. And so it's interesting because these Gadianton robbers, at first, the Nephites were the enemy. They're the enemy. Let's get them, you know. And then once they got them, it was like, what do we do now? Well, we turn on each other. You know, you make more whatever whatever 
in their mind they used to attribute wrongs to the Nephites or to try to even persuade them. We've seen them in times, join us, become our brothers in this pact. You know, they, they've tried. But what it's saying is this corruption doesn't stand. It doesn't continue. It doesn't perpetuate a greater civilization. These these things that they purport to to believe in in, in these these uh, let's get gain by murder. Let's let's um, let's sustain each other in our practices because we'll have a brotherhood. We'll have a pact, and it's almost like a gang or like a mafia. You know, nothing comes between us and the family. You know, <laughs> but it's like your whole family ends up cannibalizing itself. They they don't stand this this method, although appealing at first and pretends to be like a greater bond, greater than anything else, doesn't stand, doesn't have the power to sustain a civilization. You know, it's because a contentious spirit never brings peace ever. And if you start out by being contentious with your supposed enemy, right? They're the enemy, so I they're they're against us, and we're going to do everything we can. That doesn't stop. It's not satisfied by that being no longer a barrier. It will eventually cannibalize itself. It will turn on itself. And there is no victory with a contentious spirit. The just cause, you think about Captain Moroni, Helaman, these guys when they had when they were fighting for a just cause, the title of liberty. This is why we're fighting, right? This is why this matters. This is why this war matters. It wasn't we really don't like those guys and we want to kill them all. It, we need to protect, and sometimes in order to protect, we have to go out and fight a war. But there's an end to that, and there is a piece to that. With these guys, Gideon and robbers, and with the contentious spirit that Mormon and Moroni are living in right now, are in, in their society, there is no finalization to that. There's no conclusion. It will just continue to perpetuate. And we have to be careful, I think, in our time as well, that we don't find ourselves in the same situation where we find a common enemy to, to go up against that these people are like this and we don't like them. And then, okay, well, we've gotten our way now. It's not going it, to, it doesn't just plateau into peace. You know, it, you start to cannibalize. You start to find out, okay, well, who's the next enemy to go up against? And eventually you just end up with a lot of different factions. All it says, they know not the end of the war. No one knoweth the end of the war. It doesn't end when it's all about contention. There's yeah. no cause. That, There's no just cause there. I think our in well, not just in general conference, but there were there's been additional talks given by the brethren, very specifically about our time, about the turmoil, specifically about this election period, calling us to remember that we are to we we are to oppose bad things and stand up for good things, but we need to do it as disciples of Christ. We right. need to do it uh, following his example, and which often, which at times can mean turn the other cheek, which at times may mean be patient and wait upon the Lord, which at no time have I heard anything that says the, the other people that are either choosing or deciding on bad things, that we are then justified in being just as mean and, and toxic as they are. Because if it's the right thing, then we're justified in being toxic and rude. No, we're not. That's the hardest thing to do. You know, I find myself at times, I think, oh, I can't believe this person's thinking that this is right. And this goes against the gospel. And then I started wailing up feelings of like, I need to defend the truth. I need to get upset. I need to, uh, 
this this is why we're in such a state, you know. And then I have to think, is that how the Lord would do it? No. I don't know. It's just important to to be mindful that we don't become the Gadiantum robbers ourselves or start copying their their methods and techniques. Yeah. Um, I thought it was also interesting uh, that as in, in chapter 8, in verse uh, 13, well, in verse 12, when he says, he, he talks a little bit before that about the, there's no one in the land that knows about Jesus Christ except his disciples, and they've ministered to me and my father, and we know them. But um, in verse 12, and he says, and whoso receiveth this record and shall not condemn it because of the imperfections which are in it, the same shall know of greater things than these. Behold, I am Moroni, and if it were possible, I would make all things known unto you. Yeah, behold, I make an end of speaking, you know. And and it's, it's just tremendous, you know, what he's saying. <laughs> he's saying, you know, as great as this book is, there's even greater things that I would love to share with you, but I'm, I'm not permitted right now. I'm, it's not possible. Whether it's I don't have time or the means or I'm not allowed to by the Spirit, it's it's really cool to think that if if you accept this and you believe in it and you live it, there's more. There's more to know. There's more to learn. And I think that that's really a testament to how much is in this. Um, <laughs> you know, if you think about the gospel as explained in the Book of Mormon, there's so much to learn. And there's so much every time you read it, every time you read a chapter, every time you read different verses at different times in your life, you learn different things from it. And I think that that's part of it. When you start to accept what's in it and you accept the gospel as it's taught in the Book of Mormon, you start to become enlightened in different ways. Those greater things start to come out. And even as an individual, like maybe not policies or doctrine or anything like that, but just as an individual, you begin to understand the Savior better. And I think that that's the greatest thing that this book could ever provide, right, is a greater understanding of the Savior. I, I think that's spot on with, you know, what he's going to say here. He's saying in verse 14, he's talking about himself. I am the same who hided up this record and I hide it unto the Lord, you know, for he truly said that no one shall have them to get gain. Yeah. But the record thereof is of great worth and whoso shall bring it to light, him will the Lord bless. For none shall have, none can have power to bring it to light, save it be giving him of God. For God wills that it shall be done with an eye single to his glory. And I, when I read this part, I really thought about Joseph Smith, the simple farm boy, you know. And then when he starts translating it, and he goes with um, a copy of the, of the, of the symbols mm. to some professor. And the professor is very intrigued and wants to know about then once he finds out, oh, this is from a prophet, from a thing, then it's no longer. And, and I can see that there was a switch between, oh, this is a great discovery. How can this give us notoriety? How can it, you know, make us, you know, get gain? But when you find out that it's for the intent of sharing a gospel or, or talking about Christ, oh, OK, that can't be true. And then and then right away, you know, um, and in verse 16, it says, Blessed be he that shall bring it, this thing to light, for he shall be brought out of darkness unto light according to the word of God. And he shall be brought out of the earth, and he shall shine forth in the darkness. And then he goes on to talk about, he shall come in a day, 
There shall come in the day. We hear that sentence over. There shall come in a day where people think miracles are done away, where there's whoredoms, where there's darkness near, where people are looking for the truth and don't know where to find it. You know, there shall come in a day. And I think this is a great comfort to Moroni Mormon and these prophets because they're seeing this is going to change people's lives. And sometimes it's hard for us to feel, especially because they're they're kind of like in a downturn. They're seeing their civilization yeah. expire. They're being chased and hunted, but there's still great hope that what you're doing doesn't mean failure. You know, uh, the Lamanites think they're conquerors, but they're actually failing right now. They're they're showing they're they're not winning when it comes to eternal things. They're actually digging themselves deeper in a hole. I really like verse 17 and 18 where it says, "If and if there are faults, they be the faults of man. But behold, we know of no faults, meaning they gave it their best effort. Right. But then he says, but behold, we, but behold, we know of no faults. Nevertheless, God knoweth all things. Therefore, he that condemneth, let him be aware, lest he shall be in danger of hellfire. And he that saith, show unto me, or ye shall be smitten, let him be aware, lest he be commandeth, lest he commandeth that which is forbidden of the Lord. For behold, the same that judges rashly shall be judged rashly again. For according to his work shall his wa- shall be his wages, or wa- his wages shall be. Therefore, he that smiteth shall be smitten again. That section right there sounded so much to me as the New Testament, <laughs> as the scriptures in the New Testament. You know, judge wisely with 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 how you judge others. You shall ju- be judged. Yes. Yeah, I think the the it shall come in a day section. I think it starts. Verse 27-ish yeah. of chapter 8. You read that, and it sounds pretty extreme. And you think about when, when the Book of Mormon came to light in the 1800s, mid-1800s, and you think, didn't, were things really that bad back then? You know, like, were people that immoral? And we look at our world now, and we often think about back then, they couldn't even commit some of the sins that we can commit now. It wasn't even possible. You know, I don't I don't think it really matters uh, the time period, though, or what you consider to be more egregious or, or less severe of sin. The point is. It will come in a time when it's most needed, and I think that that happens in individuals lives as well, even if you look at it apart from the the big picture of the entire world. If you just look at it in people's lives, when does the Book of Mormon come to their life for the first time ever? When they need it most. When are they willing to accept it? When they need it most. Oftentimes, you know, people are looking for something more. They're, they're hungry and know not where to find it. And they, they feel like they're living a, a life that they don't want to live. And then the missionaries come along and they bring the Book of Mormon and it changes their life. And I think even as members of the church, a lot of times when we feel like we're distanced from God or we've made mistakes that separate us from the Spirit, when does the Book of Mormon come into our lives? When we need it most. When do that those reminders come up? When you need it most. Maybe you're not committing murders and, you know, pollutions on the land and all this stuff, but it doesn't matter. When you, when you feel like you have a, a distance or a separation from God, that's when you need the Book of Mormon most. That's when it will come in that day when you need it most. And th- that's happened to me several times when I have felt a little bit like, silence from the heavens you know i pray nothing's really happening and i feel distanced and i'm like what's going on 
And as soon as I turn to the scriptures, I may not get an immediate answer to what I was looking for, it, you know, but just reestablishing that connection, fine tuning that that radio frequency back into the spirit. It it definitely comes in the day that it needs to come and it comes at the time it needs to come. And it, it has served for me, especially this year, my gosh, all the crap that's been going on in the world and all the uncertainty and stuff. We needed to study this book this year. That's for sure. Because the messages in it realign us with the will of the Lord and remind us of what our purpose is and remind us of the fact that we have a Savior who's looking out for us and wants all of us to accept the gospel and come back. And that even when we think we don't have another ounce of strength or even when we feel so discouraged by what's going on around us, um, we can always turn to this in that day and it will fortify us. And I've, I've felt that several times this year where it's just been like, this day I need it, you know, and it came in the day that I needed it. And I, I just think that, you know, we, we often look at this as, well, it came in 18, whatever, and this is when they they predicted that it would be needed. No, every day is that day. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point that it's still coming forth. And as it's coming in a day when you have missionaries walking out there, <laughs> knocking on doors, and now it's virtually, they're virtually reaching out to people online, you know, and it's still, it's still coming, you know, it's not done. And I like how in verse, in chapter eight, verse 32, uh, it says, and it shall come in a day when there shall be churches built up that say, come unto me and for your money, you should be forgiven of your sins. And he says, O ye wicked and perverse stiff-necked people, why have ye built up churches unto yourselves to get gain? That's pretty sad, <laughs> pretty terrible. But uh, the part that really stuck to me was this to get gain and churches. And I think we need to consider that it can mean any institution or any belief system that you're using to get gain, which we have so many of. We think that sometimes just being anti-church or being atheist or whatever means that this doesn't apply to you. These, these, these warnings or, or, yeah. or the warnings to stay away. Any, any institution that tries to get people to take advantage of each other or to, or to gratify their own pride or, or, has, or, or to receive its benefit, it has a paywall, meaning you have to bring money. Yeah. You have to be, have money to be part of us. And, and, uh, I thought it was also interesting where he says, in great pollutions upon the face of the earth. <laughs> That's a very hot topic in our day about pollutions in, in our time and how the Book of Mormon knew that, you know, I wonder how they, the prophets saw our day and, and, and viewed, I don't know, garbage heaps and mounts and, you know, we think it normal, but for them it must have been really shocking. Well, it probably speaks to both the spiritual side where your mind and your environment is polluted with foul language, with inappropriate images, but it also can mean, you know, waste and excess and, and the way that we treat our environment, not, not only, you know, the trees and dirt environment, but also the space around us and how we treat our possessions. And back then, everything they had was made by hand. I mean, everything was valuable. You didn't make it unless you needed it. And they probably saw, maybe they saw images or whatever visions of 
just heaps of garbage and they're like what is this why are they yeah. wasting things what is this waste and excess that they're caught up in like well i i envision almost like we see ads for like black friday sales and christmas gifts and things and then being able to see almost those exact same items laying waste in a field a few months later and and all of this desire that you know this consumerism desire to get these which i'm not trying to disparage any of that because i i love all those things and we all love nice things and new things and toys and whatnot but it's like we we spend so much energy on certain things and then forget sometimes the most important thing and to that it may seem wasteful and like pollution you know yeah whatever whatever's whatever's corrupting your attention or whatever's distracting you from you know, living the gospel and being a good person and and serving and ministering one another, if it's just stuff that's getting in the way and it's just excess and waste, I think that that's part of that pollution too. Well, he talks a little bit more about it in verse 36, 37, 38, where he says, in 36, he says, and I know that you do walk in the pride of your hearts and there are none save a few only who do not lift themselves up in the pride of their hearts unto the wearing of very fine apparel, unto envying, strives, malice, persecutions and all matter of iniquities in your churches, yea, even everyone hath become polluted because of the pride of your hearts. Yeah. For behold, ye do love money in your substance, in your fine apparel, and adorning of your churches more than ye love the poor and the needy, the sick and the afflicted. O ye pollutions, ye hypocrites, ye teachers, who sell yourselves for that which will canker. Why have ye polluted the holy church of God? Why are you ashamed to take upon you the name of Christ? Why do you not think that greater is the value of an endless happiness than the misery which never dies because of the praise of the world? Ay, ay, ay. Ay, caramba. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that, that is talking about the material, physical stuff, and also the spiritual, and the effect that that material has on the spiritual, right? The fact that you have all of this excess, you have the fine apparel, the riches, the whatever, that becomes, that becomes your God. And it pollutes your mind and it pollutes your, your clarity of thinking. That The fact that you would rather have that than tend to those around you that are needy or the poor or the sick or the afflicted. You know, it's like, really? You want, you want, you'd rather spend your time and money and energy on that stuff than helping out your fellow man? And, you know, I'm not saying that you should never buy fun things, right? What I'm saying is when that becomes your one directive and that becomes your one goal is to obtain things and you neglect your your fellow man, you, you're no longer ministering to each other, that's a big problem. That's the pollution he's kind of talking about. But you're more yeah. interested in excess and, and things than in the spiritual well-being of, of yourself and others. Well, we have already received many scriptures where it is very easy to point out to us that the Lord loves to bless his people, to give them riches, to, to be very generous once they've done what they need to do. You know, right. it's almost like a child, you know, did you get home? Did you do your homework? <laughs> did you clean your room? Okay, you can go play. And it's so much more enjoyable when you are playing and you know you've done what you're responsible for. But when you 
shortcut that and you go out and play with your friends and you know when you get home there's going to be a reckoning and you know you've you know <laughs> you should have done something it it does it's not a sweep as it can be you know and that's the thing is the lord is not he's not it's called the plan of happiness it's called the good news because it's like this is a pattern by which you can be happy in these things these fine apparels this gold this cleanliness things all these things it's a good thing it's not a bad thing but at what cost and what are you putting first? Are you letting people suffer? Are you walking in pride in your heart? You know, are you having this pride thinking, oh, I'm better than you because of this and that? Or, 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 or you know, King Benjamin, you know, if you want to go read that again, he'll lay it out the way it should be, you know, how we should treat others, how we should look upon the poor, how we should seek after riches, but only after we've sought the kingdom of God, right? And then he's happy to bless his children with prosperity and blessings. But and that's kind of like the double-edged sword is we have these civilizations that they go through wondrous prosperity and great times. And as they prosper, they begin to forget. And then they just kind of loop down back into pride, wars, and then they're into bondage. And then they cry unto the Lord, and the Lord again, he just kind of delivers them. And as they deliver, they find out, oh, I can be more prosperous, where I'm doing good. And in that cycle doesn't it doesn't have to be that way you know there's many instances where you can break that cycle and continue to prosper and be happy yeah i thought it was interesting um where he talks about in verse nine of chapter nine where he says uh well in verse eight is really good too where he says behold i say unto you he had that denies these things which is talking about uh, revelations, prophecies, healings, uh, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. He said, he that denies these things knoweth not the gospel of Christ. Yea, he hath not read the scriptures. If so, he does not understand them. For do we not read that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And in him there is no variableness, neither shadow change. You know, and he's going to get into... Why then have miracles ceased, and he and God can still be non not not changing, right? Yeah. And so he kind of speaks about that, and and he in verse nineteen, and he says, if there were if there were miracles brought, then why has God ceased to be a God of miracles, and yet be an unchangeable being? And I love how he states these these almost these contradictory statements <laughs> because Mormon and Moroni and all these prophets we know. That it's okay for us to ask questions. It's okay for us to have a curious mind. It's for, okay to say, if we do it with the right heart and the right intent to say, why would this scripture say this and this one say this? You know, and then you ask the Lord, you seek, and then he, he tells us, and behold, I say unto you, he changes not. If so, he would cease to be God. And he ceases not to be God and is a God of miracles. And the reason why he ceases to do miracles among the children of men is because they dwindle in unbelief and depart from the right way and know not the God whom they should trust. And, and he's kind of saying, God is always willing to do miracles, to help his kids, but he cannot do it if you're not being obedient, if you don't have faith, and if, even if you don't believe in him. And it's not, he can't do it because he doesn't have the power to do it. It's he cannot do it because it wouldn't be for your benefit. It, it's only in your benefit. You know, signs do not precede the mirror, you know, precede faith. You have to have faith and then he can help you. 
and reach and grow that faith. And then 21, he kind of says, Behold, I say unto you that whoso believeth in Christ, doubting nothing, he shall ask the Father in the name of Christ, it shall be granted him. And this promise is unto all, even unto the ends of the earth. And I love that because he's saying, this promise is unto those baptized. This promise is unto the house of Israel. No, this promise is unto all, even unto the ends of the earth. So many times, even in the New Testament, we're told repeatedly, ask and it shall be given. Knock and you shall find, you know, or knock and it shall be opened unto you. You know, um, for what matter of man asketh for a fish and it's given a rock. Isn't your father better than that? Isn't he perfect? Doesn't he love you more than that? And repeatedly in the scripture, it does ask. And he even here, it says, whatsoever ye ask the father in the name of Christ, righteously in faith for good. And, and the greatest thing you should ask is, God, are you real? Jesus Christ, did he really atone for our sins? Is this book real? Because if, if, if you can know for yourself that these things are true, it begins a trickle effect that will just change your life and will change your outlook on things, you know? Yeah, and I, I really like in, in verse, I think it starts in 26. And now behold, who can stand against the works of the Lord? Who can deny his sayings? He's almost kind of like a little bit fed up with people not listening. And he's kind of going on, you know, saying this, the, writing this chapter as if it's like, here's, this is undeniable. Who will rise up against the almighty power of the Lord? Who will despise the works of the Lord? Who will despise the children of Christ? Behold, all ye who are despisers of the works of the Lord, for ye shall wonder and perish. And then the, the, the advice, the commandment, right? Oh, then despise not and wonder not, but hearken unto the words of the Lord. And ask the Father in the name of Jesus for what things soever ye shall stand in need. Doubt not, but be believing. And begin as in times of old, and come unto the Lord with all your heart, and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling before him. Be wise in the days of your probation. Strip yourselves of all uncleanness. Ask not that ye may consume it on your lusts, but ask with a firmness unshaken that will yield to no temptation, that ye will serve the true and living God. I think he's looking around and he's seeing the people around him and the potential that they have, the, the greatness of this civilization, you know, and he's just like, if only they had, you know, been more wise in the days of their probation and taken some of this pride and set it aside. And if only they had done this stuff, this outcome would be totally different. And so he's telling us and he's telling the descendants of his enemies, don't squander your time. Use it wisely. Doubt not. Be believing. Even as in times of old, because right now where I'm living, people aren't doing this. And I know that they, they did it in the past and they, they lived happier, better lives. And so he's telling us, you know, don't act like the people that are around me. Make use of this time that you're here on earth. And I think that's, that's really powerful because he's, he's, it's almost a cautionary tale. Like, don't become like us. It's almost like I look at the word... Uh, you know, disciple, and I think it's got to be tied to discipline somehow. You know, those got to be similar, uh, some sort of root thing that ties them together because you need to have discipline. What he, all of the things he's calling for is for you to, especially when he get, goes on to the sacrament, see that you do it worthily. And for us, like, what does that take? It takes discipline, it takes actively thinking about it, it takes. Mindfulness is not just meditation, you know? Yeah. It's not just feeling all the bones in your body and all the muscles and whatever. Mindfulness is 
being aware of where you stand and what your actions are and not just doing things robotically, but doing things, having thought things through. I like verse 31 and we hear it again. We've heard it several times in these chapters. Condemn me not because of my imperfection. What I hear really strongly coming through that is do not disregard this message because you can nitpick certain things, you know, because it's not, it doesn't meet your already established way of thinking because do not condemn it because it sounds different than what you expected. Don't condemn this great gift because it wasn't wrapped in the wrapping that you wanted. And also do not condemn this gospel because it's asking you to do something that you right now feel you can never do. Let go of certain things. Have faith and take it a step at a time. And he says, because of uh, neither my father, because of his imperfections, neither them who have written before him, but rather give things unto God that he hath made manifest unto you our imperfections, that ye may learn to be more wise than we have been. So he's saying, even if you think you're smarter and you know more than all of this, use that to be grateful and continue to build and know more. Don't disregard these principles. Don't disregard this message, which is that is at the heart of the world we live in right now. People disregard each other left and right because, oh, you said this, it should have been this. Or you use there instead of there. Or you use this, this person must not know what they're talking about. Or he graduated from that school and I graduated from, or this guy pretends he's a prophet. Well, how could he be a prophet when he's old? Or when he's this or that. And it's the same like sentiment where we, we disregard or we cast aside truth because we think we know better. Or it doesn't meet, meet our Instagram, TikTok, Facebook mentality or way of doing things. Or because some celebrity didn't say it. Or because, you know, whatever. Whatever it may be, right? That's... It's it's not just imperfections of, you know, hey, this is chapter 13. It should have been 14, you know, that kind of thing. I don't think that's what they're talking about. I think they're talking about this in the last days. We're going to have this, this spirit of just tossing the truth aside because it didn't come in the flavor or packaging we expected to. Or because it tells us that we need to change our nature and we don't want to. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places, that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come 
follow me.